Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And I've got my co-host Curtis here with me today to recap all the news and developments coming out of week four of Georgia's 2022 spring football practice. And guys, this was not the plan today. As we have done throughout our coverage of spring practice over the past month, we wanted to have like a buffer mailbag episode between each of these spring practice recaps, these weekly recaps that we've been doing over the past month or so. But some transfer news hit over the weekend and that threw a curveball our way and really kind of just necessitated us going back to back with these spring practice recap episodes we did the week three recap at the end of last week and here we are at the beginning of this week doing our week four recap which is not really ideal it's not what we really plan to do but when news hits sometimes you just gotta roll with the punches and that's what we're gonna do here today on the podcast And look, if you're the kind of diehard fan who listens to a podcast like ours, I'm almost certain you've all heard the news by now. But just in case, just in case someone out there was busy over the weekend and didn't quite catch it yet, two former five-star offensive linemen, Amarius Mims and Clay Webb, are now officially in the transfer portal. Not really surprising news on either front. I know Webb has has considered transferring several times in the past couple of years, but he stuck around for a while, give him credit there. And Mims, well, I mean, not surprising at all, like not in the slightest bit. Remember guys, after the National Championship game back in January, I know it's been a couple months, but I told you there were some guys that we were really having to fight hard to keep on the team and to keep them out of the transfer portal and not just some like random role players, but some former highly rated guys. I've already told you guys, we talked about on the show the past couple weeks, Darnell Washington was one of those players, and I can't remember, man, I say a lot of things in this podcast, I can't remember if I've said him by name, but if I didn't, Amarius Mims was also one of the players I was absolutely alluding to. I honestly thought he was gone. Like I thought he was gone back in January because the people that I was getting my information from also thought he was gone back then. But with Matt Luke moving on, I know that didn't come out until later after January, but like Kirby knew what the situation was. So he was able to pass that information on to Marius Mims. And so that, along with the idea that he got a chance to get a fresh set of eyes on him with a new offensive line coach, make him make a move up the depth chart in the spring, Kirby was able to use that to keep him in the fold 
for at least a little while, but it was always a very precarious situation. He could always, over the past couple months, could just hit the transfer portal at any moment. Honestly, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it happened in February and March and here in April. I'm not surprised that it has finally happened. So definitely not surprising, but still, when a former top 10 overall recruit transfers out of your program, it's newsworthy nonetheless. And with it happening over the weekend, technically during week four of spring practice, we just didn't want to wait all the way until Wednesday night to get on here and cover it. So we're just inverting things a little bit this week. Spring practice week four recap today. And then we're going to have a G-Day preview for you guys on Wednesday night, early Thursday, leading into G-Day on Saturday. All right, Curtis, here's where I want to bring you in on this. Like I said, not surprising that either Amarius Mims or Clay Webb have hit the transfer portal. Not surprising in the least for me, but still a lot to dig into here. And I want to start with Mims because I think this is the one that probably hurts more. I think all of us would agree with that. And I think the first part of this that we have to address when talking about Amarius Mims is the why. So, Curtis, when you look at Marius Mims and his decision to enter the transfer portal, very simply, man, why? The biggest thing that stands out to me is he just wanted to – he wants to start next year. He doesn't want to have to wait no matter and what. Year, and I think that's like the, 2022, right? Yeah, the 2022, his – you know, the, the season that starts this August, he wants to start right then. Um, and I, to me, that's the biggest – storyline um you know not getting into the effort or any of all these things that he just wants to start he wants to play yeah I think when you boil it down that's what it comes down to I think the reality is he he's not going to play here in 2022 right I mean I think that's the writing on the wall with this is that he's not in a position right now to be a major contributor on the offensive line in 2022 and he thinks he should be He's a guy that sees himself as, you know, a future first on draft pick, a three and done kind of guy. Knows, I'm sure those were his thoughts, his expectations for himself, his goals coming out of high school. And right now, at least through his first year and a half, going on two years here in Athens, that doesn't seem to be working out the way he wanted to. And so he wants to play. And I mean, Curtis, when, when, when that's the reason that the guy wants to transfer, can you really blame him? I can't blame him. It's when you want to play. Um, I mean, the other parts of the equation that have been, you know, talked about maybe, but I think the fact that you want to play because you want to go to the league, no, you can't blame anyone for that. Yeah, I, mean, I think there is something to be said for, you know, learning to, to fight through adversity and stick things out. I think you can learn a lot from that, but that's a bygone era, man. Like in the age of the transfer portal, that's just not going to happen, especially when you're talking about former five-star, five-star prospects, former top 10 overall recruits in the country. Those guys have been told their entire lives, as far back as they can remember, how good they are. And it's been a goal of theirs and their families for a long time for them to get the NFL and make millions and millions of dollars. And if they, when they, like the first sign of any kind of roadblock or any sort of obstacle when it pops up in their way, the instinct now is not to you know put your head down and fight through it. It's to go to the path of least resistance. And in this case, it clearly appears to be transferring out and going somewhere else. And I'm not trying to, trying to take a shot at the guy at all. I Look, if he's got goals making the NFL – and his family wants him to get the NFL, and he wants to make money and have that kind of life. Dude, more power to you. Do what you got to do. I, I I understand it, but it's just I mean, it's part of the deal now with college football with the transfer portal. It's one of the byproducts, and, and this is he's not the first guy in his in a similar situation to make this move, and he w- certainly won't be the last. But I, I just going back to what you said with your answer as to why it's just he's he was passing the depth chart. He was really raw coming out of high school, like freakishly gifted athletically. I mean, six seven the way this guy bends and moves. 
That doesn't happen very often. So freakishly gifted, but very raw coming out of high school. And you kind of allude to a little bit there, Curtis. I don't want to get like too far off in the weeds in this, but the reality is if some of you are probably wondering, well, if he's got all these tools, former top 10 five-star prospect in the country, how did he get past the depth chart? And it really just comes down to he didn't have the work habits, man. Like he just, when he was in high school, he was just at the school he played at in Bluffley County, just so much bigger, so much stronger than everyone he played against. He just never really had to develop the work habits. And when you get into college and everyone's, you know, similar size, similar builds, similar physicality, it's just a different story. You have to have those work habits to achieve those goals. And he didn't really have those off the bat. And I know and I have been told he's gotten better there, but he's still not where he needs to be. Other guys just have had, had they've had a better work at work habits. And work well, habits. And I, I think you hit, I think that hit the nail on the head also is the fact is like he was so raw and he didn't have that work ethic, especially right away that it kind of set Well, And he had the injury, the back spasms really got to yeah. him. But the fact is when you couple all that together, it did set him behind. And you were even hearing going in spring practice, people like Ernest Green were already kind of, pushing him like if they were going to be the next tackle just go out there and play for us yeah i mean and that's that's kind of situation he kind of fell into here in athens is we just got some guys that are maybe not as physically gifted as he was i don't think it's a stretch to say like among like the the linemen that have been on our roster i know he's not on the roster anymore he might have been the most physically gifted with the highest upside on the entire offensive line in that room but that's i mean and that's a great start but that's not everything. You've got to be able to put the work in. You've got to want it. And I know he wants it, but you've got you've got to have those habits. You've got to develop the work ethic. And he just hadn't developed it to the degree that he needed to in order to find himself, not even just on, on, on with a starting five, but like in the 2D, curse. And that's the problem. He's not even in the 2D right now. And that's a problem when you see yourself the way that he views himself. And I think what also further exacerbated it right now is that, all right, so Matt Luke leaves. You know, he wasn't, you know, getting the playing time with Matt Luke, but he leaves. You got a new coach coming in with Stacey Searles with a clean slate. You now you can show him what you've got, new eyes looking at the situation, you, another guy to impress. And, and like, there's, like we've talked about in the past, Chris, like, Stacey Searles is not beholden to anybody on that offensive line. So it's a fresh start, clean slate for Marius Mims. But then you actually end up like falling further behind in, in the first couple weeks of spring practice with a new coach. I think that kind of sealed the deal. He's like, well, I mean, two coaches now. And like, I, I you know, both of them have me behind the eight ball here. So I got to, I got to go take my talents elsewhere and, and try to find a spot. And I mean, Curtis, I think if you look at a guy like Marius Mims, Wherever he transfers, do you expect him to find a, a home where he can be a starter in 2022, get what he wants? Well, from what you're hearing, yes, because I don't know how many people realize this. There is a timeline where you have to put yourself in the portal before that deadline to transfer to another SEC school without the waiver. He missed yep. that deadline. He's going to the ACC more than likely. He's going to stay in the Southeast. And what's being rumored is some of the schools in the state of Florida, and realistically, I mean, if it's Florida State, for the last five plus years, they've had terrible offensive line. Miami, I don't know much about them, but if it's any of those, then you think that well, do they even have that much talent there? Well, they have a hell of a recruiter now with Mario Cristobal. They have a great recruiting staff there. I think it's. I mean, I don't have any inside information on where he's going. I had an inkling. I well had some birdies tell me they watch out. For, really going back to like January, like hey, this guy he might be hitting the portal sometime soon. Um, but uh, I don't have any inside information on where he's going, but. My first instinct, I mean, I think you hit the two top contenders here, Curtis, with Florida State and Miami. I would lean towards Miami right now. I would, too, because Mario Cristobal is an offensive line coach by trade right. also. 
Yeah, right. So I, I that would be the leader in the clubhouse for me. But I mean, that's just me speculating. I don't really know. But I do think this is a guy that can can be a starter in 2022 for another program. Because Carson, I mean, honestly, I would say he would start for 85, 90% of the teams in the country, right? With that kind of talent. Talent alone, yes. And especially like 90% of the team that you can do that just on talent alone. But if you want to play for the top 10%, you have to put them both together. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. All right, last questions on Mims before we move on here. What is your biggest takeaway from the Amarius Mims transfer? I mean, you know, you talked about it. I don't fault the kid because, like, he wants to play. But I think the biggest thing that is standing out to me is just it's just the new world we're in. Is just, you know, with the transfer portal, but not even the transfer portal. You've seen the NFL where guys are just now, like, I'm sitting out till you trade me. Um, and it yeah. just, you're just seeing it more and more across the board at all levels. And it's just, it's crazy to see what it has become. It's player empowerment. Well, that's what they want to call it. It's player empowerment. And I guess it is to a degree, but it sure makes life a hell of a lot tougher on the coaching staffs when you try and put together a roster. Yeah. I mean, like I, like guys. I said, I don't fault him because he wants play. It just is also crazy that there's, like you mentioned before, people aren't really pushing through adversity as much as maybe they had in the past. Yeah, and, and maybe that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the world. I don't know. I don't want to get into a society-wide conversation here. That's not what this podcast is yeah, for. Yeah, I, I, I mean, think it's just – I think it just kind of blows your mind. I mean, and I think that what I think – in my opinion, what I saw or when I first saw it, I was like, he's not the first and he's not the last. No, or, you know, he's no. not the last. Like, you're going to see more and more five-stars leave every school, like A.G. Hall at Alabama. Like, you're seeing it across the board where these kids aren't playing or not getting kind of what they were sold on or all the – whatever it is – it's going to be the new norm. If a five-star doesn't come in and play right away, but they want to play by year two and they're stuck behind someone, they're going to be gone. Especially, I think now with NIL money involved, that exacerbates it even more because these guys want to get that cash while they can. If you're not, if you only get one year as a starter, well, there's not as much cash going around for you. So I think that also plays a role in this as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a new world, man. That's a good takeaway, dude. It's just, it's a different world. It's the world we're in. And you're right. I think this is the norm now, right? Like this is not abnormal anymore. This is just, this is normal. This is what happened. It is. I mean, it, it like people are going to freak out. I mean, especially as George fans, you never want to see it. But the fact is, this kid hit every school that lands five stars. It's just as simple as it. The more you especially land, when like you're still like Georgia, who's been landing five stars for years and years and years now, at some point you get so much depth that it's inevitable something like this is going to happen. Well, just think about Texas A&M, that amazing five-star class. Let's, let's visit when they all at least leave, go pro or graduate and see how many actually stay around. Yeah, because like in A and M, like one great class, and the, maybe the greatest recruiting class on paper in the history of college football. But if you go okay, two, three more years down the road, they're going to hit some of the same issues that I don't want to say we're hit, hitting issues recruiting. We still recruit at one of the highest levels in the country, but you're going to see. You're right. Like some of these guys are going to transfer out. Like how? Like it's, it's, it's weird. Like you rank these recruiting classes, but obviously you have to when they get signed. But then you look down the road, and it's like, should we re-rank them based on who's still on whose roster? You know what I mean? I think you, you saw that all the time with the Justin Fields class for Georgia. Everyone always wanted to re-rank it because Fields left, Mays left. Yeah, and and it's just it's just normal now. It's that's the reality, Curtis. You're right. It's just this is where we are in college football. This is normal. Like you know, four or five years ago, if you wake up to the news that Marius Mims, you know, former five star, top ten overall prospect in the country, transfers out, like you're losing your mind. You're like, oh my god, what? We just lost a five star. But now it's like you see, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, that, yeah. Especially with immediate playing time available where before they had to really dislike it and want to be like, it's worth sitting out a year. That's not the case yeah. anymore. 
And, and look, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're going to go out and get anybody to replace him this year in the portal, but you know, when the, when the portal takes away, the portal can also give it, right? Like we can go out there and we can benefit, which we have in the past. We can benefit from the portal. Guys like a Reed Gilbert, who we're going to talk about later today. People have to realize too, it's a new norm. Like we're over the scholarship limit as it is right now. There's going to be more to leave. Yeah. Oh, there's going to be more attrition, guys. This is not the end. And I told you guys, it's, all, it's right after the season ends in January, late December, January is the first round of guys in the transfer portal. And then some guys stick it out. They get convinced to stay with the coaches. They talk them into, hey, you know, let's see what you can do in the depth chart through the spring. And then if it, things still don't look great, they don't feel good about their position after spring practice, and you have a whole other round of guys transferring out. And that is what you're going to see here in the next couple of weeks. I think the the final deadline for the transfer portal this year, Curtis, is May 1st, right? Uh, Maybe. I, it's hard I to think it's May 1st. You're, you're right. We, he's already missed the deadline to transfer – without having to get a waiver to transfer inside the SEC. But I think guys have until May 1st, I want to say this year, because it's not a COVID year, uh, to get their uh, their names in the transfer portal. And then after that, you got to stick around. So there's going to be more guys. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say who it's going to be, because we don't 100% know. We've talked about some guys in the past. Um, we mentioned Darnell Washington. We'll talk about him a little bit later today. I'm feeling better about Darnell. We'll get to that later. But there's going to be some guys that are going to leave. And that's, that's just going to happen. And – you got to get comfortable with it, guys. I know it sucks to lose guys, but it's going to happen every year. You can't forget about, forget about it every single time. And, look, I would love to keep Amarius Mims. Trust me. I would love to keep a guy of his caliber on our roster, but it's just not realistic in this day and age with a guy that was highly rated as he was coming out of high school. But real quick, my big takeaway from the Mims transfer is this, Chris. I think we're in really good shape on the offensive line because the fact remains, as I said, Marius Mims has first-round draft pick tools. He has those tools. He has that athleticism. But if other guys like Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon and Green and Michael Morris and Alou Ba are pushing him down the debt chart, doesn't that tell you, Curtis, that we're in really good shape in the offensive line? Oh, yeah, and that, that's why I'm really not – I mean, of course, you don't want to lose five-star, but I'm not having a meltdown like you said we would in the past. Yeah, he's leaving for a reason. That reason is he cannot play. Why can he not play? Because guys in front of him are better. So if, if the guys in front of him are better than him, a guy that's as talented as he is, despite how raw he was coming out of high school, that is, I think, a, a very good sign for where we are on the offensive line. So I, that's my big takeaway. I mean, I'm not, I know some people, the big takeaway is to freak out and, oh my God, we're losing guys. The sky is falling. But that's not the way I'm looking at it. I mean, if he leaves, he's leaving for a reason because he cannot play. And that, to me, speaks volumes with the guys that we still have on the roster. I feel really good about them moving forward. And Curtis, I do want to quickly touch on Clay Webb before we move into uh, some more conversation, get out of the transfer talk. But uh, Clay Webb, another former five-star on the offensive line, he was going into his fourth year on campus here in Athens. How much does this one hurt? It doesn't hurt at all. I mean, there's questions if he was even going to quit football to go pursue a certain uh, military service. Yeah. Um, you know, realistically, he just never developed. Um, he was one of these guys that you kind of seen in the past where it, at, in high school he was amazing, um, but it looked like he tapped out his potential. He couldn't get his size up, and um, it just really caught up with him. Yeah, I think, you know, you're talking about the, the potential. I think one of the reasons, we, and I include myself in this, I was high on him too, is, you know, part, don't you think part of it, though, Curtis, was the fact that we got him out of, out of Alabama, a five-star out of the state of Alabama, took him from Alabama and Auburn? Because that's hard to do. Sure. Those, like, it's not a transient state. If you're in Alabama, you're an Alabama or Auburn fan. And we were able to get him from both those schools out of that state, a five-star guy. And uh, I think a lot of us were high on him because of that. But you're right. Just, it never really 
clicked for him. And, and the size is a big part of me. 6'3", 290. That's what he's listed at on, on the roster. Could not get his way up to 300, Curtis. I mean, we talked about some of the size issues we had in the interior of the offensive line last year. When you're under 300, it's just hard to operate in the SEC, is it not? It is. You can't win. We were talking – yeah, you just with our problems, you got to be bigger than that. Yeah, you just it's just not going to work out for you. Like, I, I held a hope that maybe the light would come on for him. But then you sign guys like SVP – and uh, Cedric Van Pran, for those who are not familiar with my my acronyms for guys. But uh, SVP, I guess even Warren Erickson to a degree there. And he just couldn't really make a dent in in the depth chart and move ahead of those guys. And you're right. like I, I, This is certainly not surprising to me. I'm honestly surprised that he lasted as long as he did. I know he loved it here in Athens. Uh, he was a very popular guy in the locker room. I've always been told that his teammates loved him. He's a really good, like, leader behind the scenes though he didn't play much he's one of those kind of guys that people kind of gravitated to and just had a lot of had a lot of respect for which is great but in terms of being on the field just never really i mean just basically had he's been here three years only on four years curtis and has played basically zero meaningful snaps so does it hurt i mean maybe i mean i guess from a depth standpoint but I mean, we're, I, I don't see any way that he was going to see the field this year, even with injuries. Because I mean, how many injuries would it take for a guy like Clay Webb to actually get in there and start playing meaningful snaps for us? I would say a lot. So I would say honestly, a lot. I would see a guard before. I would, or a guard moved over there before you would him, more than likely. Yeah, I mean, you would see. I, I mean, let's say if he's a center, which I think is what he is, you know, SVP, he goes down. We move Warren Erickson over there. If Warren Erickson goes down, then you know, a guy like Austin Blasky. I mean, Clay Webb is not really just in the conversation at really any of those positions. And and I don't say to take a shot at the guy. I'm not at all trying to take a shot at him. But in terms of are we going to miss him, is this a, a name that we should freak out over losing, even though he's a former five-star? I think the answer is no because, I mean, he hasn't really translated on the field through his first three years here in Athens. And I don't know why it would magically happen this year. I absolutely wish him the best. I hope he finds a place where he can land on his feet and get some playing time. Because, again, I've heard great things about him his entire career here. It just hasn't worked out for him on the field. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so we had to start with the transfer news first. But that was certainly not the only news coming out of week four of spring practice as we held our second scrimmage of the spring Saturday inside Sanford Stadium. And once again, 
we had some standout performers, one of which for the second week in a row was tight end Arik Gilbert. Now, Curtis, we did not talk about him after the first scrimmage last week because we spent a good amount of time in our week one and week two recap episodes discussing his progress on those episodes. So I didn't want to like, you know, do overkill last week. But in talking to a few people over the past few days after the second scrimmage and coming out of week four, Arik Gilbert's name kept coming up again and again and again. So, Curtis, let's go back to the well here. Let's talk about Arik Gilbert. How much are you buying the hype right now? Oh, I'm 100% ball. Um, the fact is, look at what he did as a freshman. The guy, I mean, and look at his skill set. He's rusty, and I think the time away from football actually was the best thing that ever happened to him because it showed, It was. it's obvious he was just not a good headspace. He needed to get himself straight, um, and it looks like he did that, and I think that will translate – not only in his whole life, but also to the football field because it, he had distractions. I don't know, you know, we don't know all all his demons that he was dealing with. But the fact is, he was not a hundred percent committed um, based on everything that was pulling at him. And now that he is, I think that with you put that commitment, that the fact that he is in a better headspace, grouped together with the incredible athleticism that he already had. The sky's the limit for someone like that. And we've seen what they could, you know, with Brock Bowers, what this offense can do with someone like that. I totally agree, man. I'm, I am like 1000% bought in, dude. Like I'm, I'm buying every bit of stock I can possibly find in this guy right now. And you're exactly right. Talent was never the issue with Gilbert. That was not the problem last year. That's not why he was not with the program. It was personal stuff. And it seems like he's in, a, like you said, a better headspace. And that's a good way to put it. And he's focused, determined. I mean, when he came back on campus, he was out of shape, man. He was pushing 290 pounds, like 280, 290 pounds. And I've heard he's dropped over 20 pounds already, and he's going to continue to drop weight and get in better and better shape. But if he's already making the kind of waves he is right now without being in like the shape he's going to be in when August and September roll around, that's scary to think about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. If he's in the right headspace, match that with the talent, which was never the issue with him, watch out. I mean, watch the hell out for Reed Gilbert and watch the hell out for this Georgia offense in 2022. Cause when you talk about Brock Bowers getting back in the mix with a guy like Gilbert and hope we're going to get the Darnell next year. Curtis, that is a three headed monster at tight end. The likes of which have you ever seen in the history of college football? I mean, think about that seriously. No, never. Curtis, that's crazy talk. I mean, Brock Bowers, we saw what he did in year one. Arik Gilbert, we saw what he did at LSU as a true freshman. I think he's going to come into a better situation now. And then a guy like Darnell Washington, who's a different kind of guy, but still a super talented guy. A three-headed monster like that, you just do not see that anywhere. I mean, I, I'm sure I'm missing some team, some program one year at some point in history of college football. I'm sure somebody's, you know, rattling off their brain right now. But as far as I'm concerned, like, it's got to be up there, man. And uh, I'm I'm all the way bought in on this. And, like, I, I usually try to not get caught up in the spring practice hype because you hear this every single year with various guys. But Arik Gilbert's different because we have verifiable evidence of him as a true freshman on the field in the SEC. So that's why I'm buying into it. It's like, look, yeah, I know that, you know, there's always the, the spring hype monsters every year and everyone gets all excited. And they don't really ever pan out the way you want them to. But Gilbert's just different because we've seen it. He's got experience. He's not a brand new freshman. He's new to our program, but he's not brand new to the college football world. He's extraordinarily talented. We know, we've seen the SEC. So yeah, dude, if he's in the right headspace, which it seems like he is. That's why he's back at the program. I am 
a million percent bought in on a Gilbert. I am extraordinarily excited to see what he can do at G-Day and, of course, moving into the 2022 season. All right, Kurt, let's stick with tight end for a minute here. We've speculated some this spring, and I, I usually hate speculating, but I know people like to hear our thoughts on these things, and if we don't have like hardcore, verifiable information. So we've done some speculation this spring about the potential for Darnell Washington to hit the transfer portal after spring drills. And for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, he wasn't a big part of the passing game his first two years. Uh, wasn't really super thrilled with the, his role as a primary blocker at tight end. While you see Brock Bowers put, doing historic things for a Georgia tight end. He has injuries. We've got a loaded tight end room now. So all those things, you're, looking, you're like, man, yeah, he could yeah, definitely be a potential transfer option here. And I know that he's a guy, like I said earlier, we had to convince back in January to stick it out and you know stay around and let's see how things work out. But there's always that possibility for him to hit the transfer port. I've, I've, been, I've been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop and hoping it wouldn't, but I've been kind of preparing myself for it. But Curtis, something very encouraging happened last week. No, it was nothing to do with anything on the field because he's out for the spring with another injury, another foot injury. But something I think very encouraging happened. He was sent out for interviews with beat writers. And I know some of you are probably saying, who the heck cares about that? Well, I do because I pay attention to these things. And to me, when a player is sent out, because it also it's it's selected players, and the coaching staff selects these players. And who is selected? I, I always tell you guys, watch who is sent out for interviews. If you if you're looking at a position battle and who's doing what, like who's who's fighting for a job and who might have a starting job, who's you know fighting for playing time, who's solidly with the program, all those kind of things. Who comes out for interviews with beat writers is usually a telltale sign, Curtis. So, Kurt, I mean, am I being crazy? I mean, am I putting too much into that? How do you feel about Darnell's status with the team moving forward at this point? Very encouraged. It looks like they're t- doing everything they can to at least keep him around, which is all you can ask for. I absolutely think you're right. And Kirby's done a great job. I mean, you, got, you have to understand, guys, with the transfer portal now, we've got to re-recruit some of these guys, especially these highly rated former five stars like Amarius Mims who were told how great they were and they were – you know, the red carpet was rolled out for them everywhere they went on campuses across the country and all these visits. These guys, you know, it hurts their ego a little bit. Let's just be real. It hurts their ego a little bit. And, and I, again, that's not a shot. It's just reality. It hurts their ego when things don't happen as quickly for them as they think they should as, as quickly as they were expecting. So you have to do some re-recruiting. And I think Kirby and company have done a really good job with Gilbert. And I'm going to give – I'm not Gilbert, sorry, with Darnell Washington. I'm going to give Washington some credit here himself. He's a guy who – I mean – it, he had, what, 10 catches last year. It hasn't worked out for him the way he wanted to. You see Brock Bowers come in as a true freshman. He's doing the things that you think you should be doing. And it would be easy to just turn and run, go somewhere else, go where the path is easier. And he, at least for now, has stuck it out. And I want to give him some props for that. Now, he's fighting through the adversity, and I respect that. And I do think, again, like I, maybe I'm making way too much out of this. Maybe we get news like later this week, oh, yeah, Darnell Washington is now the transfer portal. Maybe. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that can't happen. But I'm more confident that he's going to be with this program through the 2022 season than I was when spring practice started. And I think the fact that he was sent out for an interview with beat writers, to me, that's kind of what sealed the deal for me. And again, he has, I think, until May 1st to make that decision. But, he look, he's not practicing right now. So it's not he can like get out there and he's, he's trying to go out there and compete for a job. And now Gilbert's just passing him up on the field and – and he just feels defeated, and like he's like, all right, man. Like I see the right on the wall. I'm out of here. So I don't think that we have to worry about that, like we did with Marius Mims. Marius Mims gave it a go this spring, and just wasn't making a dent in the depth chart, and wasn't getting the looks he wanted to. 
So with with Darnell's injury, which I, I hate to say any kind of injury is a blessing disguise, but maybe it kind of is. The fact that he's not out there right now and he wants to see what he can do once he gets to fall camp. And if you get to fall camp, then no more transfer portal until next year. So I'm feeling honestly a lot better right now, you know, a month into spring practice than I was when camp kicked off uh, a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I'm feeling better about this man. And I love that because Darnell is, he, he's a different kind of tight end for us. I don't know if he's the kind of tight end that he thinks he is in terms of being like a major threat in the passing game, but he is invaluable as a blocker. He's a major red zone weapon. At worst, he's a really good possession receiving option at tight end. It doesn't clearly doesn't have the explosiveness that guys like Gilbert and Bowers have. But again, that does not mean that he does not still have a ton of value for this team. And as I've said all along, we are a much better team with Darnell Washington than we are without him. So I'm very, very encouraged about this. Okay, next, Curtis, I want to talk about a guy that we haven't spent much time talking about this spring. He's also a guy that we've gotten several questions about over the past couple weeks, and that's linebacker Xavier Sori. And I know we didn't talk a ton about him when we were previewing spring practice, guys. I know that. And the big reason for that was I just wasn't sure if he was going to be an inside linebacker or outside linebacker because he spent time at both last year when he was coming out of high school. It was kind of an open-ended question. It was like, I don't know. We're going to camp and kind of get him to practice and get him here on campus and see where we think he fits best. But it looks like as of right now, he has settled down at inside linebacker for now. We'll see how things change. But right now he's an inside linebacker. And interestingly enough, Curtis, I know there's a lot of injuries at, at inside linebacker right now, but he was out there with Dumas Johnson with pop with the number one defense to open the scrimmage on Saturday. That's, that's the word I got coming out of, out of the scrimmage on Saturday. So, Chris, this is a guy that we know was highly rated, but we did not see a ton of him last year. Right now, he's working with the ones at inside linebacker, but there are a lot of injuries. So how likely is it that Sori holds on to that starting job through the rest of the spring and through fall camp? You know, I don't think it's out of the possibility. And the, the biggest reason I say that is because, well, first off, I mean, the fact is I consider our first three starters because we rotate just so much that you have to consider him a starter. And – you know, right now, I think it's who behind Pop is are the guys. And the injuries are helping him. And I think the big, you know, injuries happen. Um, I mean, look at Stetson Bennett. Look at all these things. The injuries happen, but you have to go out there and take advantage of it. You have to grip, you know, grab the bull by the horns and take that position. Um, like some of these other guys who, you know, we learn and we remember because they've done it. And I think that um, Xavier Sori has the ability to do that. You know, you mentioned that we didn't know what position he was going to play. Well, now that it seems he's a little bit more settled, maybe for now at inside linebacker, it wouldn't shock me if our first three, in my opinion, were Pop, and then it was uh, Smell Mondon, Smell, Smile, however you want to say it. Smile, and then smile, Xavier. yeah. Especially it's Smile. Yeah, and then Sori. Um, th- those three wouldn't shock me because Tresman Marshall has never stayed healthy. Ryan Davis has had trouble staying healthy. So those three right now, realistically, I could see – being our guys. I, I mean, when you're looking at it right now, you're exactly right. He's taking advantage of the injury situation and he's got an increased reps. And he's, as you said, taking the bull by the horns and put himself in a great position. I know CJ Washington was making uh, some waves, the early enrollee, true freshman, but he's out. He might be, I mean, Curtis, like that injury apparently was pretty rough and there's no, like there's nothing definitive on that, but he's probably going to be out for a while. And I mean, that's, yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't think we see Washington until next season. 
Yeah, I would. I, at this point, I wouldn't. That's the word I'm getting. Like no one, no, no one's saying for sure they're being really close. Injuries. A lot of times, people are closed lip on this kind of thing, like the extent of severity. Because Kirby goes bananas when that stuff gets out. Um, but the word I'm getting is like it's not great right now. Like it is. Yeah, you might be right saying like might want to just put your expectations on hold this year for Washington and wait for next year, which sucks, man. I hate that for that kid. Um, just I've always heard great things about him too. So. Hope he gets better, but he's out. You mentioned Tresor Marshall, who's back doing some things, but it's not 100% full go. Ryan Davis is out. Ryan Davis has been out basically his entire career. You can almost say the same thing about Tresman Marshall. Um, then you've got Jalen Walker, who's another early enrollee true freshman. His head's spinning right now. Super talented. I've heard he's done some really good things inside linebacker as well, and that's staff's really high on him. Um, Smile Mondin has been out with injury. He's been out for the spring as well. So Xavier and Sori has been – him and Pop have been like the two constants, really. I guess you can say Jalen Walker too, but in terms of like – it's hard to call them veterans. They only been on campus one year, but I guess more so than early enrollee, they've been the guys getting a ton of reps and he's clearly, clearly taking advantage of that. You wonder how much of like the fact that he was out there with the ones is due to injuries and what's going to look like when Monding gets back. Cause I know he, the staff is extraordinarily high on him and I'm extraordinarily high on him. His athleticism is off the freaking charts. I would love to see smile add a little bit more weight. I think he needs to get a little bigger, but athletically speaking, I mean, whew, he might be the best of the bunch we've had in the past couple of years, and that's saying something, man. We're talking about guys like Roquan Smith and Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker and Shane Tindall. That guy is explosive, man. But, you know, you see a guy like Sori, and I love this guy coming out of high school. I just – same story. I wasn't sure where he was in the lane. It's going to be inside or outside. But, again, it appears like it's inside right now. He's a guy that moves really well. He will flat out smoke you, man. He will bring the wood. He moves really well. I mean, he's got all the tools it takes to be a really good inside linebacker. And, like, I don't know. We'll see what happens when Monning gets back. I think if if Monning gets back fully healthy, I think it's going to be a heck of a battle between him and Sori to probably be the starter next to Pop. I think Pop's got one of those spots. But whoever whoever doesn't start, whether, like you said, whether it's Sori that's starting or whether it's it's Monning that's starting, those all three of those guys are going to play a ton of football for us this year. I think we're going to go back to potentially having a true like four man rotation inside linebacker that we like we've had in years past. I know Kirby kind of prefers we have guys that he trusts, and I certainly at the very least feel like Sori's going to be in that. Like he's going to be in that rotation, but it would not surprise me at all. Like, like you were saying with the injury situation, for maybe hold on to that job as the starter. But he's going to play. He's going to play a lot for us. He's going to be a big time contributor for us. And finally, here, Curtis, I want to close with two names that I don't think were on most people's radar this spring, but I've been hearing some pretty consistent buzz on them throughout the spring, and that buzz is getting louder and louder with each passing week. I didn't bring this on the show the first couple of weeks. I was like, I don't know if I buy into that right now. Let's see if, like, let's see how things progress, and let's see if I keep hearing about these guys, and that's the case. I keep hearing about them week after week after week, so it is time to bring them up on the podcast here. And uh, I'm talking about second-year wide receiver Jackson Meeks and third-year running back Dajan Edwards. I don't think, Curtis, your average fan had high expectations for either of these guys entering the spring. But again, as I've been told, I haven't seen them, but what I've been told is both have had really good spring practices thus far. So, Curtis, of those two, Jackson Meeks, Dajan Edwards, of those two, which one do you expect to make a bigger impact in 2022? I'm going to go with uh, Jackson Meeks because, I mean, when he was in there last year, just, you know, he just needed to be bigger. He needed to be stronger. I think those were the two things that are the things that stood out to me the most. When it comes to Edwards, it's not that I don't believe he can do it, but I've been burned so many times, especially at the running back position, by people having a good spring practice. And then realistically, when all the big horses are healthy and they're full go, 
you kind of see them disappear. Yeah, I mean, we can say this for Edwards. Like, he's not going to be one of our top two running backs, right? That's, I mean, that's clear. Yeah. It's, it's going to be McIntosh, and it's going to be Milton. Those are our top two backs. So he's really going to be fighting for those third, third, number three back carries. And then you've got a guy like Branson Robinson, a five-star guy coming in, and he is not here. He's not taking reps right now. He's not on campus. When he gets here, does he move ahead of Dejan Edwards? Now, I will say in Edwards' defense here, the fact that Robinson was not here for the spring, I think helps Edwards because he's just going to be here for the summer and fall camp. I don't think he was able to get those reps and kind of, you know, get the, the, the equity put in there with the, with the coaching staff that Edwards has been able to. And I will also say this about Edwards, and I mentioned this before. I'm more of a believer in Edwards than I think the average fan is. I think this guy, when he's gotten opportunities, has absolutely shined. Now, yeah, I know it's garbage time. I get that, and that has to be put into context. Absolutely. But I like what I've seen from him. I think he's really shifty, and I love that in a running back. He's certainly not the biggest guy, but he's shown me some things out of the backfield as a receiver. I think he can, he can contribute in that role. I, I, I know that, again, he's not huge, but he's just he's one of those guys that can make you miss in the hole. You get him out in space, and he's got this little like dead leg move. That he can just like leave people in the dust, man. And is he the fastest guy? No, no. But I think he's got skills that I value and appreciate in running backs. I think he's got really good vision as well. So I absolutely, I really do, Curtis. I believe that Edwards is going to get like meaningful carries this year, like in the in the vein that Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton got the past couple of years. Like, so when I say meaningful carries, I'm not talking about 15 carries a game. I'm talking about five to seven carries a game, maybe. But getting some of those third running back looks, I really believe Edwards can get those looks. Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. I think you get – I think that what you're saying and, like, those five carries or something are doable. And especially the fact that he seems very versatile. Um, he can run the ball. He's, a, you know, good running back. Um, but I also think he's a pretty decent receiver uh, back coming – you know, catches the ball out of the backfield. And I think the biggest thing that's going to help him maybe get those five to six to seven – carries and maybe more snaps is like you mentioned Branson not being here well if Kenny McIntosh or some of these other people aren't a go for a play you know maybe they're taking a rest or something we need someone who can pass block well we're going to go with someone who we trust 100 that's so critical man that and like people don't it's not a sex a sexy thing to talk about when you talk about running backs but it's so important dude and coaches put a premium I mean, think, on that. think back think back to 2012 we lose I mean I don't know I'm not saying it's the, it would have converted but we lose because Todd Gurley doesn't pick up the guy out of the backfield. The Falcons lose because Devontae Freeman doesn't pick up a guy in the Super Bowl. It, those things are like they cost you in the most inopportune moments. I'll use a guy that's on the roster right now, Kenny McIntosh. Kenny McIntosh, why did Kenny McIntosh not play more in 2020? I mean, we had some really good backs, don't get me wrong. The dude couldn't pass protect to save his life. Had no idea what he was doing. They got injured too, but he protect. Think, think how big that pass block was that James Cook had on that touchdown pass on the free play to A.D. Mitchell. Like, those plays are, like, you don't, you know, at first, you, not everyone's talking about them, but those plays are so critical, and that's why you can't have someone inexperienced in that position. Yeah, because you can't measure, like, you know, everyone wants to look at stats. You don't measure, like, a, a blitz pickup statistically. I, I wish we did, because those things are critically important. Those are, those are winning plays, but... People always need running backs and looking, okay, how many yards, how many carries, you know, yards per attempt, yak, all that kind of stuff. Because you can measure that, but you don't measure, you know, blitz pickups and pass protection stuff. But the coaches chart that, guys. I, I'm just telling you, they chart that. We don't get, you know, numbers for that, but the coaches have that, and that is huge for them. And if you cannot pass protect, if 
they cannot trust you to do that, you will not be in the game. So Edwards is going to have a heads up being in the program for three years now over those young guys who might or not might be, they are more physically gifted than he is, but that might not matter right off the bat. So I fully expect Edwards to be a guy that gets meaningful carries this year, like in actual like real time, not garbage time situations. And I'm not saying I'm not excited about Jackson Meeks. I think he could be a good receiver. And I, I was actually higher than most on him when he came out of high school last year. He obviously had the injuries and just wasn't, you know, didn't work out for him last year. You have A.D. Mitchell coming on. But I think Meeks is a guy that can be a big contributor for us as well. I think he has some guys ahead of him right now, so I don't know if it'll be as much this year. But I think he's a guy at the Z, maybe in the X position. We talked about last week, we, had all these, we have an embarrassment of riches at the slot. Well, Jackson Meeks is one of those guys that can play on the outside for us. So I do think he's going to be in the rotation. I think he's going to play, and I hope that he makes some plays for us. I don't think that's out of the question at all. But I, I, right now, I would put my money on Edwards. I just think he's closer to being a contributor than Meeks is right now. That's what I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I can hear an argument for Meeks, but I, I'm going to go Edwards here. I'm going Edwards. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So that is our recap of week four of Georgia's 2022 spring football practice. Obviously, we have G-Day coming up later on this weekend on Saturday. We will have our G-Day preview for you guys Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. So make sure to check back for that. Curtis had to run, guys. He's got to get out of here. But I'm going to go on for just a few more minutes here because I want to give a big shout out here to the Diamond Dogs. Got to give those guys some love because don't look now. But our guys, the Diamond Dogs, are now second in the SEC, technically tied for second in the SEC with Arkansas behind Tennessee, who is just killing it on the baseball front right now. They had a great year last year. Tony Vitello is just killing it on a rocky top right now, which does not make me very happy. I'm not excited about that. I do not want to see Tennessee do well at anything, but you got to give credit where credit's due. And Tony Vitello, their head coach, young guy, 43 years old, has done a great job with that program and has them in outstanding shape to make a deep, deep run in the college baseball postseason. But while we might not be quite at that level this year, our guys are putting together one heck of a season and they've done it the hard way. And what I mean by that is they've had to fight through so much adversity already this season with each one of our top four pitchers already having to deal with some sort of injury that's caused them to miss a start. Most recently, our ace, our top of the line Friday starter, John Cannon, missed his start on Friday against South Carolina with what they're saying is a minor ailment. They've also said that about a couple of different guys, Liam Sullivan most recently, who came back, he did make his return after, I think, missing his last four starts. He came back on Sunday. He's our number two starter, was a number two starter opening the season. And his injury at first, according to Coach Strickland, was going to be like, you know, he misses one star, maybe two stars, a very minor thing. And like a month later, he's like, oh, he's still out? So I don't know what to believe on that front, man. I, I really don't. I hope the Cannon thing is truly just minor like they're saying it is, because that dude is the truth. He is the real deal. That is a straight-up 
top-of-the-line starting pitcher. And if you've got one of those guys, then you are in very good shape. And we've got one if we can keep him healthy. He missed the first half of last year with mono, which he came down with right before the season. He was never really 100% last year, even once we got him back. But this year, man, like he's hit the ground running. And I was, I don't want to say devastated when I heard the news, but it, it was a gut punch, man. We've already dealt with so many injuries. Again, Sullivan missed a month. Our number three, number four starters are both out for the year. They're gone. They're done. And then you get the news that the guy you've been leaning on in the absence of all these other guys, your starter, your ace, John Cannon, he's now injured. It's like, oh my God, like we, we were rolling. We got off to a really good start in SEC play. And it's like, man, is the bottom just going to fall out on us here? Is that what, what's about to happen? But it didn't. At least it hasn't yet. In South Carolina, look, I, they're not what they once were a couple years back. But it's still a, a good, solid, proud baseball program. And we went into Columbia on the road and took two out of three. And Friday night was was an awesome game. And we, we got out to an early one nothing lead. They, then they bounced back, took the 2-1 lead. And I got to give Nolan Crisp credit. Nolan Crisp is a guy who was a transfer from Florida a couple years back. He's a reliever for us. He was actually a closer for Florida. I think he had like eight saves in his first year in Gainesville he has been a a bullpen guy for us but he has been pressed into duty over the last two weeks as starting pitcher he wasn't our first option to replace some of the injured guys but everyone else was just wetting the bed and just walking batter after batter after batter after batter after batter so he got his shot and he's been fantastic two weekends ago at home against Florida he went four and a third give two earned runs but only walked one batter. And then this week against South Carolina, he went another four and a third innings, only walked two batters, gave up one earned run. He came in and he's throwing strikes. And that's what we need our starting pitcher to do. I, Nolan Crisp is not going to be John Cannon. Nolan Crisp is, is a bullpen guy. But if he can come out there and he can throw strikes, which when, when we don't walk batters, guys, we win a lot of games. It's when we walk like 10 or 11 batters in a game, which, yeah, we do that pretty regularly. At least we have been when John Cannon's not pitching. You can't win baseball games. You can't do that. You can't win baseball games when you're walking in runs, you're hitting batters and letting runs come in, wild pitches getting away and runs scoring from third, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what it's been. It's been a comedy of errors from the starting pitchers, not named John Cannon in the absence of these other starters. And Nolan Crisp is not a guy that's going to come in and like light up the, the gun. He's not going to do that. He's not a dynamic pitcher by any stretch of the imagination, but he's throwing strikes, a good, solid, reliable guy, and over the last two weeks, we'll see how long it can last. He has been very, very good for us and given us a chance to win games. It's really what you want. Can Nolan Chris give us four or five innings? You get to Jaden Woods, you get to Jack Gowan. Because if he can do that, then I like our chances more often than not. So he gave us a great start on Friday against South Carolina, kept us in that ball game, gave us a chance to win, put us in position when we got to the top of the ninth to score two runs, take a 3-2 lead, and then we were able to shut him down and close the deal out in the bottom of the ninth inning and sneak out of there in the first game with a 3-2 win, which was huge, heading into Saturday and Sunday. And then Saturday was just a disaster on the mound. And guys, like, we just have to come to terms with it. It's going to be that way at least one game a weekend where we're just going to have to outscore the team. Like, it's going to be a, a score-a-thon, a score-fest, whatever you want to call it. And Saturday was that game. Sunday kind of was, too. We just scored more runs. But on, on Saturday, Garrett Brown got the start. He's been, I mean, he's been okay at times, but... He's he's too erratic, man, and it's been a problem for us. We walked 11 batters, another 11 batters. I mean, what, Brown walked four. I think Wagner came in, walked two. Polk walked three or four. It just was not good. I mean, every pitcher that came in walked at least one batter. We had, what, I think five pitchers in that game. They all walked at least one. Three of them walked more than one, multiple batters. 
And uh, you're, again, you're not going to win baseball games when when that's the case. I mean, South Carolina's fourth inning in that game is case in point. Let's go through the, the scoring summary here. Yeah, fourth inning, they got a run because we walked in a run. Then the next batter, we hit him, hit by pitch, run scores. And then wild pitch, another run scores. So yeah, they got three runs in the fourth inning because we walked a guy, hit a guy, had a wild pitch. You cannot win baseball games when you do things like that. So we lost that game on Saturday, 13-7, but we did bounce back on Sunday, got out to a big lead, big early lead, got out to a 5-0 lead there in the first inning behind four singles and a Cheney Rogers three-run homer to right field. So that obviously helped and gave us some breathing room. Liam Sullivan, who was our number two starter to open the season, actually made his return first time in a month and pitched well. He was on a pitch count. He went three innings. I think he had under 50 pitches, like right around like 45, 50 pitches, somewhere around there. He only walked one, had four strikeouts, looked good. He looked good. I was glad to get him back. That's actually a really good sign for us to, for first off to get him back and for him to look as good as he did in that first start here in about a month or so. So he pitched well, but then we ran into a little bit of trouble. Chandler Marsh and Jaden Woods both came in and gave up a couple of runs. Jaden Woods, he's going to be really good. He has been the best pitcher for us really all season out of the bullpen. He is very, very good for us out of the bullpen. I think he has starters potential. He's just got to develop more pitches. He's got two pitches he can rely on right now, and he commands them pretty well. He's got a good, pretty live fastball, but he leaves it over the plate too much, and he gives up a couple homers every now and then, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, he walked three batters, got guys, a couple guys on base, then gave up a jack. I think it was a three-run homer that cut the game closer than it was. Like we were running away with the game for most of the game, and they cut it close because he got guys on base by walking them and, and gave a big jack when he left the fat fastball right across the heart of the plate. But that's not the norm for Jaden Woods. He's been really good for us all year. I still have a lot of confidence in him, but it just wasn't his day. And look, if you're a pitcher, you have those days from, from time to time. But fortunately, Jack Gowan had the good stuff on Sunday, came in, went three and two-thirds inning. He's our closer, but he, I mean, like he's a guy we had to rely on. Like, we want to get out there with a W, and uh, we leaned on him late in that game. He went three and two-thirds. Only gave up a run and six strikeouts. Here's the key thing. Zero walks. Again, amazing what we can do when we don't walk a ton of batters. So Gowan, big time performance there on Sunday to get us out of Columbia with another series, an SEC series under our belt, which puts us in a really good spot right now. We are eight and four in the league, 24 and eight overall. D1Baseball.com, which is really good in terms of like projecting the NCAA tournament field and who's going to be a national seed. They have us right there on the fringe of being a national seed. The top eight teams get the national seed, which means you get to host a regional. And then if you win that regional, then you get to also host a super regional. I think they had us at number nine last week. We'll see what they have us this week. But we have a really, really strong, we have a top five RPI in college baseball right now. And uh, if we can keep winning, which I mean, we'll see, guys. Like we're gonna we're gonna play some really good teams here down the stretch. We still have to play Tennessee. Haven't played them yet. Still have to play at LSU. That's a top twenty-five baseball team. Still have to play Vanderbilt, who is not a vintage Vanderbilt team this year. They actually just um, dropped out of the top twenty-five this week, but they're still a very good, very dangerous baseball team. So we still have some uh, some pitfalls on the schedule. We've got A&M coming into town this weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, which kind of aligns with G-Day. The, the game on Saturday is at 4 p.m., so it's perfect timing. If you come up to Athens, if you're in town for G-Day, 
do the G-Day baseball game doubleheaders. A heck of a time. You'll have, you'll have a lot of fun. And we're good this year, guys. We are very good this year. So hopefully we'll get John Cannon back this weekend. I don't know if that's going to happen. I have heard, heard nothing firm on that. I know it's a day-to-day kind of thing. I wouldn't bet on it right now. Hopefully sooner rather than later. But we're probably going to have to go without him for another series. So we're just going to have to try to... Fight through some more adversity. Find a way to piece it together like we did last weekend. But it's great to have this series at home. And I just, uh, I hope the Diamond Dawson can keep this rolling, man. Because it's been, it's been fun so far. It's been a fun ride. And it's going to be fun to see where we go with this thing. And then one last thing here, guys. I can't get out of here today without giving some love to my beloved Georgia Tennis Dogs. The men and women's programs. The women were in town this past weekend and swept Kentucky and Vanderbilt to put themselves in a really, really good position heading into the SEC tournament here in a couple of weeks. Hard to believe, man, but the tennis season, at least the regular season, is almost over. We're going to the last weekend of the season. So if you've heard me talk about Georgia tennis, if you follow us on social media, you follow me on Twitter, follow our account, and you see me post a ton of stuff about the Georgia men's program, the Georgia women's program, all this, all the tennis stuff that I post on there, and you've always kind of wondered, like, hey, man, like, what would it be like to actually take in a match? Like, maybe I want to do this at some point. Well, time is running out in the regular season. The men are back for the last homestand of the regular season this weekend with matches on Friday and Sunday. So, again, if you're in town for GA and you've always wanted to check it out, it's totally free. I'm telling you guys, you're going to love it. I promise you, even if you're not a big tennis guy, it's college sports. And there's nothing in the world like college sports. That's just facts. There's nothing in the world like it. It's a totally different environment from any other kind of tennis environment you would imagine. I guarantee that you will have a great time. Bring the family. It's 5 o'clock on Friday afternoon and then 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And our guys right now are fighting to stay in the top four in the SEC in the regular season so that we can get a double bye in the SEC tournament. Right now, we're basically tied for third. It's kind of a logjam there. Like The number two, three, and four teams are kind of like in a logjam there. But if we can sweep Auburn and Alabama at home this weekend, we are going to lock up a top four seed, which means, again, a double bye in the SEC tournament next weekend, which, oh, by the way, is in the Classic City here in the Mecca of college tennis. Tickets are already on sale. They're $15 for all sessions. So for every single match, and like maybe on, on match day, you can get like single session tickets for like five bucks. In the past, they've done it that way, at least for the NCAA tournament. I don't know how they're going to be doing it this year. So maybe you can, you know, if you if you only be in town for like, one match, maybe you can take your chances and see if you can get like a single session ticket for like five bucks. But the all session tickets are $15. And if you really want like the true college tennis environment, there is nothing like postseason college tennis in Athens. I'm telling you, there is nothing like it in the college tennis world. Really, I would argue there's nothing like it in the tennis world in general because it's just a rabid southern college tennis fan base imagine us like at football games but just in a smaller more intimate environment where it's going to be packed out going crazy barking yes barking at a tennis match it's amazing guys it's fantastic so if you really want like the true environment the true taste of college tennis try to make it out in two weeks so not this weekend but next weekend for the sec tournament i'll course have a lot more information on that as we get closer to that here in a couple of weeks but if you get a chance if you're in town this weekend take in a baseball game take in a tennis match of course take in g-day and just make an entire weekend of it guys but that officially does it for us here today on the podcast i will be back later on this week like i said earlier in the show with my official g-day preview episode so make sure to check back for that but thank you for listening guys we always appreciate each and every one of you for curtis i'm tyler and as always Go dogs!